What is up, my listening friend? Uh, This is episode 162 here on the Yours Truly podcast, and I am not going solo today. I have another guest episode to share with you, but if you're new to the podcast, if this is the first time clicking on the show and tuning in, my name is Claire Tuning. I am your host, of course. I also happen to be a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor, and I am the owner and founder of all things here at Yours Truly Nutrition. I am sitting here with my coffee in hand, feeling pretty good the morning I'm recording this intro, mostly because I got to enjoy some peanut butter pie last night that a friend so kindly brought over for our Bachelor Monday viewing party. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning, and I am thinking that when I'm done, I'm going to go have some lunch, and she was kind enough to leave a big old slice of that peanut butter pie for me in my fridge, so I think I'm going to top off my lunch with some of that. You know, this is a little bit of a side tangent, but do you have those foods that you haven't had in a long time? Maybe you, you know, moved away from where you used to live and there was a restaurant that you used to go to all the time, or maybe you used to live with a family member who would make a certain food all the time, but for whatever reason, you don't have that food a lot anymore. Well, peanut butter pie is that food for me because when I was in college, go Dukes, I went to JMU in the the mountains of Virginia, but uh, in one of the biggest dining halls there. In fact, it was the dining hall right across the road from the dorm that I lived in my freshman and sophomore year. They had a dessert stand. I feel like a lot of dining halls on college campuses have this dessert stand. And every so often, it was maybe like once a quarter, it really wasn't that often, but every once in a while they would have peanut butter pie as dessert. And whenever it was peanut butter pie day at E-Hall, that was the name of the dining hall, the whole campus was up in arms. Everyone was excited for it, at least everyone on East Campus, and word would travel fast and they would run out of pie. So you really had to aim to have an early dinner that night, or at least when you walked into the dining hall, you had to grab that first. Even if you weren't gonna eat it first, you had to secure the pie. So it had been ages since I'd had a peanut butter pie, and when my friend walked in with that to our Bachelor Monday viewing party yesterday, you can imagine my level of excitement and also the level of nostalgia that came with eating that pie, because her rendition of it was quite similar to what I remember from my college days. Anyways, did you know this was a podcast about peanut butter pie? Because it really seems that way, doesn't it? But let's go ahead and dig into our Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week, and then I will introduce our very special guest for today. So the post that I am going to feature from our Facebook community this week comes from a community member, and I could be wrong, but I believe this might be the first post that this individual has shared, but they wrote, I'm going to my yearly OBGYN slash midwife appointment and decided to decline getting weighed today as I'm not going for pregnancy. Does anyone have quick slash polite but a firm line to say? Something like, I'd rather not be weighed today. I know it's late notice, so I realize that no one may see this before I go. So thankfully, with a community that is over 900 members, there were many individuals who came into this comment section rather immediately after this post was made. So I'm hopeful that some of these suggestions were seen by our original poster before they had this appointment. But I wanted to read out a couple of the responses from community members because there are some really great one-liners and phrases in here that if you are ever faced with a similar situation where you would like to decline being weighed, you don't want that to be part of your medical care experience, that hopefully you can use some of these. But before I feature some of these responses, I thought it might be helpful to run through a brief list, a brief list of scenarios where knowing your weight for your physician, for the nurse, for the provider might be medically necessary. So there are really only a few. And if you are going to your provider for a reason that is not included on this list, odds are really high that they do not need to take your weight. You do not need to step on the scale to get whatever care you are seeking. 
And this might not be a fully comprehensive list, but this is the list that I often share with my clients when they are wondering, am I gonna have to be weighed? Can I decline this time? So again, might not be fully comprehensive. Of course, always check with your provider specifically, but these are the few scenarios where they might actually need to take a weight. So the first one would be starting a new medication, maybe a medication you haven't been on before and your doctor, pharmacist, whoever needs to calculate an appropriate dose for your body size to be safe and effective. Uh, another one would be getting any type of surgery or going under anesthesia, again, where they need to dose that specifically to your weight to be safe and effective. Um, sometimes also in the case of pregnancy, uh, they are going to want to know your weight so that they can track the growth of the baby. Now, I have heard of a few instances, people sharing with me who are going through this, that uh, their doctor is not needing to take their weight, or maybe they can take a blind weight, meaning that you're stepping on the scale, but they are never saying those numbers to you out loud. Of course, there are some cases where you can do that, or you can consult with your physician, but that is typically one where they're going to want to check in just to track the growth of the baby. And then the final one that comes to mind is in the case of um, congestive heart failure or any kind of like kidney failure as well, any type of condition where your body might be holding on to a fair amount of fluid and the amount of fluid retention that you have going on could be an indication of how well or how potentially not well those organs are working. So if that is the case for you, I am confident in saying that your provider has communicated that to you, right? If you gain X amount of weight and X amount of time, then that's an indication that you need to come in, we need to see you. But if none of those reasons on that list apply to you, if you're just going in for a well visit, for a physical, for I don't know, a sprained wrist, ankle, whatever reason you might be going to see your provider, then odds are really high that your weight or them knowing your weight, them taking that is not medically necessary for the reason of your visit. And at the end of the day, you are the patient you are the customer, if we view it that way. So if this is not something that you want to be part of your experience, then it is your right to decline. And I want to acknowledge as well that that is much easier said than it is done. I know stepping into a provider's office comes with lots of different thoughts and concerns and fears. So I do want to acknowledge that we can say all day long, decline, you don't have to do that, but it can feel a lot more challenging in the moment. And on that note, I'm going to read out some of these responses that community members offered on this post. And maybe you can take some of these and use them if they feel right for you. So one is, no thank you, I prefer not to be weighed. Another one says, I choose not to get weighed, but thanks. This one is one of my personal favorites. Um, this poster writes, if the nurse is the one making a big deal about it, a friendly, if there ends up being a specific indication or need for me to be weighed today, I'm sure my doctor and I can discuss that. Thank you. I've actually had a lot of my clients share that they used something like this, especially if they had a nurse or a nursing assistant give them a lot of pushback or tell them that they have to be weighed, right? If that ends up being the case, saying, yeah, I hear you, and if my doctor and I decide that it is medically necessary, I can always get the weight on the way out. And I think that was all. Yeah, one other person, let me see, I'm reading through as I'm recording. One other person says, I've been pleasantly surprised that after telling many nurses in the past year that I'm going to skip the weigh-in today, not a single one has argued with me or treated me any different. Every experience has been neutral and very professional. I did have surgery last week and the nurse had to weigh me to prepare for that like we were talking about earlier, but I told her I wasn't going to look at the weight and she actually offered to Sharpie mark it out on my weight chart printouts. I had a lot of anxiety about refusing to weigh in and it turns out I was worried for nothing. So I hope 
anyone and everyone listening can have an experience like that last commenter that is really positive where that boundary was respected. I know that is not always the case for everyone in these scenarios, but I wanted to feature this post to let you know, again, that it is your right to decline being weighed unless you do hear from your doctor or your provider that it is absolutely medically necessary, potentially for one of those reasons that I listed out earlier. So if you're not already hanging out with us in our goal slaying community, we would love to have you join us. This is a free private Facebook community that is open for anyone to join who is looking to learn more about intuitive eating. You want to ask questions like this. You want to gather community support from people who are looking to also heal their relationships with food. The way that you can join us is by visiting my website, that is clairetuning.com slash community. And when you go to that link, there is a brief application that I will have you fill out so that we can learn about you and you can learn about our community. And as soon as you submit that, my team and I will look it over and let you in as soon as we can. Now on to today's episode. So in this episode of the podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jack, Jessica Rabin, who is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in pediatric psychology. Dr. Jessica, I hope I said your last name right. I'm realizing I did not ask you on that pronunciation. But her clinical interests include depression, anxiety, chronic mental illness, LGBTQ plus health, and eating disorders. She has published a number of peer-reviewed research papers and books on topics such as suicide, depression, anxiety, self-compassion, gratitude, and forgiveness. Additionally, Dr. Jess creates mental health content on TikTok and Instagram and hosts a podcast called Psych Talk with the goal of making mental health more accessible and relatable and destigmatizing mental health. There, as I read that last line in her bio, you can probably imagine where Dr. Jess and I connected. Yes, it was over social media. I really recommend following her on both Instagram and TikTok. And might I also add, this was not in her bio, so this is me adding this, but I will also add that she is a big Taylor Swift fan, which you will be hearing a little bit more about in the first few minutes of this interview. In this conversation that I have with Dr. Jess, she and I talk about all or nothing thinking when it comes to our relationship with food and how things like stress, anxiety, and other mental health concerns can impact our eating, more specifically our hunger cues. So without further ado, let's go ahead and turn the conversation over to Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. It's so lovely to connect with you. I'm happy to have you today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to come on. Of course. Uh, we were talking about this before we hit record, but you and I are double dipping today on the show, meaning I am talking to you for the purposes of recording this podcast now. And then here in about six or seven hours, we're going to talk again and I'm going to be on your show. So it's great to be able to swap. <laughs> I know. I love doing podcast swaps. I absolutely love it. And speaking of podcasting, before we get into our conversation officially, I like to kick things off with a little bit of a this or that game. So are you ready to play? I, I love games, so I'm ready. So that's a yes. Yes. First one, first one. I have five here. Um, they're going to get increasingly more challenging as we go. <laughs> okay. Okay. First, first one, hot weather or cold weather? So I used to say hot weather because my birthday is in the summer, but as I've gotten older, I really love sweaters. And so I would have to go with cold for the purpose of wearing a sweater. <laughs> that was a very detailed answer. And <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very detailed. So <laughs> hopefully this yeah. game doesn't, you know, take up half the, our conversation. And even if it does, I'm sure we'd have a great time. No, but I feel like they're on the, the sweater thing. It's something about the coziness of it, especially on a work day when I can only speak for myself, but when I'm talking to clients and I'm having video sessions, I like the sensation of being cozy during that. And it feels a little bit weird to wear a sweater in the middle of like July sometimes. So yes. I'm with you. 
Okay. Next one. Stan, this is a sandwich question. Are you more of a grilled cheese person or a peanut butter and jelly person? Oh, that's hard because it depends on my mood. So I would say go-to would be peanut butter and jelly, but Mm -hmm. I do like a good grilled cheese. And when I was pregnant, I literally ate grilled cheese (laughs) all the time. So I would say like the go-to would probably be peanut butter and jelly if I had to choose. It is going to be no secret and no surprise to all of our listeners that I do agree. Big peanut butter and jelly girl over here. But since we're we're recording this in sweater season, if you will, and I feel like what goes along with sweater season is grilled cheese season. So I love it. I'm always peanut butter and jelly through and through, but there there are times when I would choose a grilled cheese just depending on the day. Uh, okay, so it sounds like we're on the same wavelength for that. We're well. on the same wavelength. Let's Let's see if this continues. Let's see if we stay on the same wavelength. So again, these questions are going to get harder. Next one, podcasts or audiobooks? Oh, podcast, 100%. I love reading books, but I'm not, I, I've never really gotten into audiobooks, but I love yeah. podcasts. Yeah, I feel sometimes it's a bit easier to stay engaged on a podcast, especially if it's an interview format, because mm-hmm. there's a conversation there. You can pay attention to the conversation. I, I will listen to some audiobooks, but I feel they have the tendency to be a little dry, <laughs> depending on what topic you're listening to. And it can be easy to disengage and then be like, what was happening for the last 10 minutes? And then have to rewind. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. So three for three on the same page. Three for three. Okay. Here's what, here's where it gets hard. So I know that you are a fellow Taylor Swift fan. Yes. So I have prepared these two final questions for you. And I'm going to, I'm going to try not to judge you based on your response, but will I be slightly judging you? (laughs) Okay. And the podcast will end after my answer. The podcast will end and no more questions will be asked. Uh, First one, are you more of a folklore or an evermore person? You got to pick one. Can't say both. (laughs) Okay. So I was actually asked this question a couple months ago. Uh And uh, so the way I describe it, the songs I like from folklore, like I really, really like, but I like more songs overall from Evermore. So based off that, I think I would have to go with Evermore. I am also an Evermore stan. Not that I don't, not that I don't like folklore. Cause like he said, they both have great songs, but if I had to pick one album that I mm-hmm. never skip a song from, it's Evermore. There are okay. a couple on Folklore that I don't love as much and I do skip. I agree. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I will hear Swifties describe Folklore and Evermore as like the songs they like better on Folklore, but they like the album as a whole of Evermore more. And that's, that's kind of how I feel like there are certain songs on folklore that I'm like, yes. And I love, but then there's others. I'm like, no, but I could listen to evermore as a full album. You could listen to it evermore as they evermore. say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Final question. This is also a Taylor Swift question. Uh, we're going to talk about her re-records for a moment. So up until this point, are you more of a red Taylor's version or a fearless Taylor's version? So I was, definitely a fearless Taylor's version more so than red mm-hmm. until the 10 minute version of all <laughs> that really tipped the scales. <laughs> yes. yes. So up until the, this recent mm-hmm. uh, red Taylor's version, I was definitely more of a fearless person. Okay. That, that 10 minute all too well, definitely sounds like it did it for you. I, um, I'm more of a red Taylor's version. Now, Mm. when I, when I turn on fearless Taylor's version, I feel like it brings me back to just like a time in my life when I first started liking Taylor Swift. So it like really makes me feel nostalgic, but I feel like I can relate to more songs on red, if that makes sense. I, I, I definitely, I definitely get that. Um, I mean, I've listened to Red Taylor's version more mm-hmm. than Fearless Taylor's version um, overall. But yes, prior 
to the 10 minute version of all too well, I was definitely probably more fearless. So I hope this can continue recording, even though we disagree on that one. I, <laughs> I guess I'll allow it. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. But we, uh, we made it through pretty much all of the questions having a very similar take on all of those. So uh, now that we've had a little bit of fun, we've started off on a mostly lighthearted manner. Anyone who's listening who doesn't like Taylor Swift is probably like, what the heck are they talking about? But now that we've done that, we'll kind of pivot or pivot as Ross from friends would say to uh, some of our, our other questions. And first thing that I would love to ask you is for anyone who doesn't know you or your content yet, at least, can you take a couple of moments and share who you are, uh, what it is that you do, and most importantly, why you do that? Okay. Um, So I am Jessica. Um, My handles on social media is at Jessica Lee PhD, but my last name is actually Lee is my last name. It's my middle name. And I just liked how Lee and PhD rhyme. Um, So I do have my PhD in clinical psychology. I work full-time as a pediatric psychologist in a children's hospital. I primarily work with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, uh, chronic illness, and then LGBTQ health. Um, Outside of of working full-time. I also uh, create content on social media, Uh, really like to spread information about mental health, mental health awareness. Um, I fully recognize as a psychologist that mental health is not easily accessible for many people. So I decided actually during the pandemic, (laughs) I feel like the pandemic prompted a lot of us to do things Uh to, create social media platforms um, dedicated to mental health. So like Instagram and TikTok are my two main platforms. And I like to get information out there um, mainly about, you know, anxiety, eating disorders. I had a daughter at the beginning of 2021. So I do a lot of postpartum stuff as well because I am going through that (laughs) Um, as a first time mom. So Yeah, I just love it. And I love my full-time job. So that's why I do both. Yeah. I think it's interesting how you talk about the pandemic the past almost two years now, really prompting a lot of us to do things and maybe put more things out there. And I think it's so helpful that more professionals, of course, I see a lot of nutrition professionals doing this. I'm learning of more mental health professionals like yourself doing this as well. But like you said, a couple of moments ago, professional care and help really is not accessible in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So I think when providers can put out content that is actually helpful, that is rooted in evidence-based information to kind of help silence some of the not so helpful information out there, it can be a way of getting help that feels a bit more accessible. Now, not to say that following on social media is a total replacement for seeking out one-on-one help, but it can be a great place to start, to start learning more. And I have to give you a shout out since you're talking about social media. One of the first posts that I saw of yours, maybe like a month or so ago that like I shared to my story. I was like, this is the best post ever. Yes. It has to do with Taylor Swift. It was like therapist. And what do we do when we feel this way? (laughs) And then client goes, listen to Taylor's 10 minute version of all too well. It's like, yes, that's exactly what we do. So that post brought me a lot of joy. I'm sure it's at other people as well. Uh, But something else that I saw recently, I think it's been within the past couple of weeks or so on your social media is kind of this idea of all or nothing thinking when it comes to a lot of things, maybe food related, mental health related. And in this post, you were talking about identifying when that thinking shows up for us, asking if the situation really is as extreme as it might feel in the moment, and then seeing if we can find a shade of gray, I think is how you phrased it in that experience. So could you speak a little bit more to this concept? Because I feel in my clients, at least, I can only speak for the work that I do with them, but this idea of all or nothing thinking is something that we tend to struggle with a lot. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
I, I was actually, um, so since I work in a hospital, I had a med student with me this morning and was doing some teaching and was actually talking about this. So this is great. Um, so yes, we all engage in all or nothing thinking. Some people call it black and white thinking. It's the same thing, but yes, the idea that there is no gray and, um, we see this in a lot of areas of our life with eating. I give a lot of like school examples because people can relate to that. Like if I don't get a 100 on my test, I have failed um, with eating and how diet culture tells us things. If I don't eat quote unquote clean, which we know is not a thing, mm -hmm. um, I have quote unquote failed at whatever it is. And the issue uh, with black or white thinking in cognitive behavioral therapy, we call it a cognitive distortion because it distorts our reality because reality is a bunch of gray, right? There's very few absolutes. I'm not going to say there's no absolutes because I'm sure somebody will come on and be like, well, yes, there is. <laughs> but if we think in black and white, it can cause a lot of distress for us. We set expectations for ourselves, for other people that we are ultimately going to fail to meet because we are thinking in absolutes. So, you know, I know obviously with your field, working on like with food, body image, if we have this all or nothing thinking, the expectation of what should be, should is a big word and not all or nothing thinking. Mm -hmm. And I hate the word should, because when we say, when we should on ourselves, uh -huh. for lack of a better <laughs> phrase, we use that a lot in the mental health field. If we don't meet that expectation, we think we have gone to the other extreme of failure when in reality we probably have achieved something in the middle, but when we're thinking so extreme, we're unable to see that gray. Mm -hmm. I hope that answered <laughs> your question. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I see that, um, a lot in the work that I do around food with individuals, right? If I don't eat perfectly heavy air quotes there, because as we know, no such thing as a perfect eater. But if my eating doesn't look like this, then I have failed or I don't care about taking care of myself. And a lot of the times with nutrition, dare I say all the time with nutrition, there's a whole lot of space there in the middle. And that's often where we find how we feel best, right? Mm -hmm. Eating in a way that, yeah, is, has a variety of nutrients and makes us feel good mentally, right? Eating in a way that connects us to other people. And we find that that happens in the, in the gray area. So yeah, I really just want to kind of to get your thoughts on that black and white thinking the all or nothing, because something that I get a lot of questions about over DM as well, but, um, something else that I think our listeners could find helpful is talking about the connection between mental health and eating, specifically mental health and body cues. Because I know something that you also talk about in your content is how things like anxiety, depression, stress can really impact how our body communicates to us about food, specifically related to our hunger cues. So I'm just going to pass the mic to you if you can maybe share a little bit about this in general and why this happens. And then we can build from there. Okay. So the first thing I say to anybody that comes to me with stress, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, when we are overwhelmed, no matter what is causing that overwhelm, the first thing that tends to go is our basic self-care. So eating, sleeping patterns, even things like movement, or showering, brushing our teeth. Like those are the things that when we're feeling overwhelmed, we no longer take care of. We still go to work. We still take care of the kids. We still do those things, but those basic self-care. And so when it comes to eating, when we're feeling stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, there's really like two groups of people. So there are the people that no longer pay attention to their hunger cues. They're so stressed out. They're so anxious that they either cannot tune into it because they are so focused on the stressor um, that they don't have the mental capacity to even recognize like, oh, my body is telling me something mm -hmm. or they're actively ignoring it simply because their focus is on the stressor. In the other camp, we have people that tend to go the opposite direction and tend to eat more than they typically would. And 
our body, I tell people this all the time, our mind and our physical body are so interconnected. So when we're stressed, our body goes into fight or flight mode, which most people know what that is and releases the hormone cortisol and cortisol is a stress hormone. And for a lot of people, when they're under stress, if they have high levels of cortisol being, you know, pumped out in their body, they tend to crave things like sweets, carbs, or, um, like fatty foods Mm -hmm. because our body is literally in fight mode and it needs those nutrients (laughs) to quote unquote, fight the stressor. Now Mm -hmm. in reality, we're not fighting bears or anything anymore, but our body still responds the same as it did, you know, back when we were, you know, cavemen. And so individuals then may tend to eat more than they typically would. Also, some people will find food as kind of a source of comfort in times Mm -hmm. of stress. Um, And it's something that they can control. So I'm feeling bad. Let me grab something that gives me comfort so I can feel better momentarily. Um, I'll pause there because I could talk about this for for forever, Um, but that's where we'll start and see where it goes from there. Yeah. Maybe from here, we can talk for a couple of more minutes about the individuals in camp two, as you were calling it, that last thing that you were just talking about. And I really appreciate how you broke down a little bit of the physiology behind that, how, when we are stressed, the level of cortisol in our body will increase, which can then often lead to higher intensity of certain cravings. Specifically, I would call them just the fun, highly palatable foods, like the foods that offer us comfort, offer us something to look forward to. I've had clients in, in my past describe those foods as just something good to look forward to when everything else feels really hard or really Mm -hmm. crummy. And I, I appreciate that breakdown because I feel like when we know the why behind a certain feeling or a certain craving that we're having, the more that we can start to turn down the volume on that, like food policing or self-critical mm-hmm. voice of you have no willpower. What are you doing? Or I can't believe you're doing this, right? I find a lot of people who may find themselves in that camp really struggle with harsh self-talk as well. Labeling Mm -hmm. that behavior is bad as we are conditioned to do. That's no one's fault, right? (laughs) Big nod from you there. Uh, But I think it's so helpful to understand, okay, this is why my body is doing this. This is why I'm responding in this way. And with this level of understanding, then I can maybe get curious about, is this serving me in the way that I would like for it to? Is there another skill? Like, is that something that you talk with clients and patients about as well? Or what are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that? So um, I have a lot of thoughts based (laughs) on everything you you just said, but like every behavior has a function. So Uh we'll start there. So Yes, there's the physiological response. And I intentionally shared that because we're most often not reaching for like a plate of broccoli when we're stressed out. Like we're going for that comfort because we're feeling so overwhelmed. We're feeling distressed. And like you shared, like a lot of your clients, like that's the food that gives them comfort and something to look forward to. Um, So every behavior has a function, physiological or emotional, like Mm -hmm. for comfort. The other thing when thinking about, I know you just said, you know, is that something you work on with clients? Like going back to one of the first things I said that self-care is the first thing that goes out the window, like basic self-care, like getting enough sleep, eating, um, when you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, like you ate like, and that is great. You are in this really stressful, really overwhelming situation. And yet you still found time to nourish your body. Mm-hmm. Now it might not be with the foods that you maybe typically would nourish your body with, but you still did it. And I think reframing it in that way. So when you have those negative thoughts, like, well, I should, I'm going to bring up the word shit all the time. And I, <laughs> I, I did quotes and nobody can see, um, oh, I should be eating better. Well, why? Because yeah, maybe you eat quote unquote better or differently when you're not stressed, but you are dealing with this additional thing. And we can't have the same expectations of sleep, eating, productivity when you're not anxious, when you're not overwhelmed, when you're not stressed, 
as you do when you are, because there's additional factors at play. Um, and I think a lot of it too, intervention wise is being mindful. So mindful awareness, recognizing what's going on when you are grabbing that comfort food mm-hmm. or is it a time of high stress or is it, I am so overwhelmed. I can't even fathom cooking right now. So grabbing something convenient is easier for me. Um, is it I'm bored. And so we can f- identify patterns And then once you identify patterns, okay, then what can we do to do something different if that is what the person wants? But honestly, a lot of times, if we address the stressor, if it's something that we can, like managing anxiety, managing stress, things like that, naturally over time, that critical self-voice will go away and your patterns will go back to what they were at baseline because you're actually addressing the underlying cause of the behavior. If that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. It's like, um, if we go back to what you said earlier about every behavior, having some sort of function or meeting some sort of purpose, if we view it that way, when we find ourselves reaching for those foods, we can approach it with that level of curiosity, like, Oh, I'm doing this thing. What might my body be trying to communicate? Right. And again, this might not be an all the time thing, because Mm -hmm. as you were talking about sometimes when there is that additional stressor, we don't have the capacity to be getting curious about our behaviors, right? We might be in survival mode and that's okay. In those moments, I really appreciate your reframe of this thing that I'm doing is giving my body fuel and nutrients in some way, right? So that is perfectly valid. And there might be other times where we can look at the behavior and say, oh, what need might my body be communicating to me, right? Maybe it is, I am feeling really bored and lonely and I need companionship or I need something, or maybe I am noticing, oh man, I haven't been meeting this basic need for self-care in a certain way. So what I need, I don't know, is time by myself or whatever Mm -hmm. that might be. So I think uh, looking at it from that way can be really helpful. Um, Since we've talked about people in in that camp, camp two, as you were saying, I'm wondering if it's okay, if we could go back to the other camp of people you were describing. So these were the individuals who often respond in moments of stress by not feeling those hunger cues or feeling like they're really not meeting their body's energy needs. If someone who is listening feels that they resonate more with that of like, I don't feel hungry. I forget to eat. I really struggle to feed myself. What advice might you have for them? So full disclosure, I fall in camp one. Like I'm very well aware of um, that with myself when I am high stress. And I know I said this for like camp two with the mindfulness, but like first being aware and recognizing because the, especially in like acute stressors. So if it's only been going on like a day or two, a lot of people don't even recognize that they have avoided their hunger cues until they reflect on it. It's like, now that I think about it, wait, I ate significantly less than I typically would have. Mm -hmm. Um, So one thing that can be very helpful is being intentional of like setting reminders, whether it's in your phone or if there's a trusted colleague, friend, something like that, that maybe you work with, or if you have a partner or somebody at home, like, hey, I'm gonna need a reminder to eat today because I am really stressed out. And if I don't have an external reminder, I'm not going to listen to my bodily cues. And it can be really, really hard to eat when you're not hungry. And by not hungry, I mean, when you do not perceive that your body is telling Mm -hmm. you you're hungry. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's something small, just to get some type of nourishment in, because the, I mean, there's a lot of issues obviously, but one of the issues is And you kind of alluded to this. If you are not fueling your body because you're stressed out, you're going to then be more tired Mm -hmm. and run down, which is just going to add to that stress because high stress, you're going, 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 going. And then if the thing that allows you to go is not fueled and doesn't have energy, you're going to burn out even quicker. Um, So reminders are good, whether on your phone or with, um, a friend, or if there's easier ways for you to get nutrition and like keeping snacks on you. So they're like right there and in Mm -hmm. front of your face. So if you're 
typing up notes. I say that because I'm a psychologist or doing something like you have a visual reminder of, I need to do this. Um, and going back to kind of like ways to reframe it and things to tell yourself, even little mantras of like, I need to nourish my body. Like I'm under a lot of stress. I need to make sure I'm taking care of myself, that my body's nourished so I can keep pushing through mm-hmm. until this stressor is over. One, uh, one of those mantras or reminders that I love sharing with my clients is a lack of hunger cues does not mean I don't need food, <laughs> right? I love that. Like just because those cues aren't present doesn't mean that my body can magically run on nothing, can magically run on air. Um, oh, there was something else. Oh, I was going to go back to what you were saying about the external reminders, whether this is coming from a device or a trusted friend, colleague, family member. I find that a lot of people, when I offer similar advice, they say, well, isn't the point of intuitive eating to like rely on my body's cues. And they almost view not being able to do that as a failure or, well, that's not eating intuitively. If I have to set this reminder, or I have to think about eating. And if anyone is, is having those thoughts, I'd love to hear what you think about this as well. But I often tell people sometimes in order to get to a place where we can rely on and feel and trust our body's cues, we have to have some structure along the path to getting there. And that might be a reminder or having a scheduled snack time, right? Sometimes it has to feel a little bit more mechanical before it can feel intuitive. What are your thoughts on that? So I love that. So I have two, two thoughts. Like my Uh brain is like stemming apart. So the first one, kind of like I said earlier or alluded to earlier with like, when you're under stress, you can't have the same expectations as if you're not under stress. Mm -hmm. So if you're practicing intuitive eating, it's going well. And then this major stressor comes in your life that might become your priority. And it's hard to do all the things that you were doing before, or like you're saying, if you're getting to the point of learning intuitive eating, you may need a help, a little help along the way before you get there. Um, the other thing, so I work with a lot of eating disorder patients and we talk about hunger cues all the time. And I talk about mental hunger cues because I get the same thing. Like, well, if I'm supposed to be listening to my body, if I'm supposed to be eating intuitively, but I don't have body cues or I can't like tune into them. Like, how am I supposed to do that? And I was like, I usually say you have mental hunger cues because if you're irritable, if you're tired, if you just feel brain fog, those are also hunger quote unquote cues that your body needs to be nourished. So if you feel like you're listening and you're like, I I'm just not really intuitive with my body um, look for those mental hunger cues as well. Are you more irritable? Okay. That might be a sign like "Mm, my body needs some nourishment. And the other thing is like, we all can use a little help sometime. Mm -hmm. So if we need a little help at the beginning to get us to our end goal, that is absolutely fine. If we did well, and we need a little help in the middle by setting those reminders that is going to train us to then get to the point that we need and want to be at. That's, that's so cool how you, you phrase those as mental hunger cues. I've never heard anyone label them in that way. And I think it's so helpful to think about there being a whole category of hunger cues that might not show up exactly how we would think a hunger mm-hmm. cue would show up. I, I know I've made posts on social media before, of you know, what we think a hunger cue is like, and I will always list out like stomach growling (laughs) or, you know, something that is very tied to a bodily sensation. And yeah, Mm -hmm. for some individuals, they might connect to that or their body might say to them, I'm hungry by means of a stomach growl or something like that. But other times, I mean, I've worked with clients before for a long time who say, I've never felt that physical hunger cue, but I can definitely identify when I'm thinking about food or when I have low energy things that it sounds like you would describe as the mental hunger cue. So I'm hoping our listeners can really latch on to like, yeah, the more typical or more often talked about hunger cues can exist, but there are also this whole other set of hunger cues that can happen in our mind that might be more subtle, but they're still very valid in helping us to eat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember where I heard mental hunger cues or if I came up with, I have no idea, but it, it does. I, I've found it's been helpful with my patients because yeah, people usually think like the growling stomach is the only hunger cue or other physiological cues. Um, but I like that you also brought up being tired. Cause that is, I mean, there's other reasons you're tired, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's a good check-in like, Oh, I'm feeling really fatigued more than usual. Let me reflect back. Oh, I was so busy, stressed out. I haven't had my lunch yet. Let me pause and nourish my body. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that you bring up the looking back over the course of the day. So if you check in with this mental cue, oh, I am feeling tired or, oh, I'm feeling like I'm having a harder time focusing again, these could be happening for other reasons as well. But if you notice those things and then you look back over your day and realize I haven't eaten in hours, odds might be high <laughs> that that mm-hmm. could be a hunger cue. So I call that doing some detective work, like picking up on a cue and then seeing if that makes sense within the context of the rest of your day. So I think we might have just found the title of this episode, something to do with mental hunger cues. I'm going to, I'm going to workshop that, see if I can come up with some wordplay. Do you think if I call Taylor, she would help me? She's good with her. I would love it. Can I be on that call? <laughs> yes, we can, we can conference, conference her in. Um, but before we kind of wrap things up here, I know we've touched on a lot of important topics. I'm really glad we got the opportunity to break down the two different types of people, if you will, or a lot of different types of people, but the two common responses to eating when it comes to stress, anxiety, et cetera, but anything else you feel is important to add on this topic? So I guess one thing that comes to mind is a lot of people don't realize how physical anxiety is. And this is something I see a lot um, that people will complain of like a stomach ache and they're like, I don't know what's going on. And when we're thinking about like hunger cues and eating that a lot of times can dissuade people from nourishing their body because they're like, well, I have a stomach ache. And I like to bring that up because I know it's hard to eat when you're feeling like not good with your stomach and GI tract, but it is still important to nourish your body and reflect going back on that reflection. Like what is going on? Like, yes, it could be something medical, but like, okay, I'm feeling really stressed right now. Um, stress and anxiety have a lot of physical symptoms. And I've seen a lot where people, because they're not feeling good, then fall into that first camp of people mm-hmm. because they're, they might be able to tell they're hungry, but they're like, oh, but my stomach doesn't feel good. So I'm not going to. So if you also experience that, just know, just like we were saying, setting reminders, things like that, it's still very important to fuel your body. Um, and your body's going to thank you <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for eating. Um, and I just wanted to highlight that because that can be an additional stressor if you're not physically feeling good. And in turn, that is preventing you from nourishing your body, which in turn causes more stress, like we've been talking about. And it it becomes a cycle. A lot of things are cyclical in this conversation. And um, on that topic, something that I often say, I, I call them are always good foods. And I don't mean the word good from a moral perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean it like you always like it type of food. So I I will often tell my clients to come up with a a small list of what we call our always good foods. So these are foods that no matter what is going on, they sound at least okay, or you Mm -hmm. can stomach them. For me personally, this is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, It's great as well. If some of the foods on this list can be easy to keep on hand a lot of the Mm -hmm. time, or they can be shelf stable so that you don't have to worry about them going bad. You can always have a stash of them in a pantry in the freezer or something like that. But I think that can be a good preventative or um, Mm -hmm. just something to do to look out for your future self. If you know, you struggle with that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I was like, just thinking, I was like, what are my always good foods? And I think granola bars are like my go-to, like I can have a granola bar whenever, wherever, regardless of what I'm feeling. Yeah. And a lot of the time too, I find, cause I will get the example of like a bar or crackers and cheese or a sandwich of sorts. So a lot of the times these foods are things that you don't have to eat all at once if that makes sense. Like you can have a bite, set it down for a little bit, come back to it. Like you don't have to feel that there's this pressure 
of eating an entire meal in like a super short window of time, if that's the thing that's kind of scaring you away. So you can kind of nibble on it as time goes on. Love that. Uh, well, Jessica, it has been wonderful connecting with you. I'll get to do it again later today. I know. <laughs> so I'm excited. But speaking of that, can you tell our listeners where to where find you, where to find your podcast and anything else that you would like to plug here at the end? Awesome. Thank you. So um, Instagram and TikTok are my two social media platforms that I primarily use. So my handle is at Jessica Lee, PhD, Lee is L-E-I-G-H. My podcast is called Psych Talk, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. So those are my yeah main things. And I have like links in my socials because I have other things that I always forget to plug. So just find them there. So pretty much find you on Instagram and or TikTok. And that will link you to all the other places where you hang out. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, it has been lovely to chat. I know our listeners are probably jotting down notes and all the things. I feel like we touched on a lot of really tactical bits of information that I'm hoping people can take and implement moving forward. But uh, our listening friends, that is all we have for you today. So we will go ahead and sign off by saying our names. So I'll start yours truly, Claire and Jessica. And that's a wrap for today's episode with Dr. Jessica. Thank you so much for listening on today's conversation. I hope you got a couple nuggets of value here and there from what we were discussing. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode or anything else that I share here on the podcast, I would be so incredibly grateful if you could take a minute or two, however much time you have, to hit those five stars to leave a review as well. And if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, you can always share the episode another way, maybe by taking a screenshot and putting it on your Insta story. You can text the link to a friend or a family member, someone who you think could benefit from hearing this conversation with Jessica and I today. But that is all that I have for today's episode. So I hope to catch you back here next week for another new episode of the podcast. But until then, take care and I'll talk to you soon.